As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The race is on, and Lewis Hamilton took a controversial but thrilling victory in the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. But was his penalty for the clash with Max Verstappen on the first lap too lenient or too harsh? And how did the Mercedes driver come back to deprive Ferrari's Charles Leclerc of a shock victory? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to look back at a remarkable race are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. Let's start off with you, Scott. I had a chat with Gary Anderson on a podcast episode we put out yesterday discussing the sprint and looking at it, so we're not going to talk about that too much. But before we get into the serious topics that I imagine everyone wants to hear about. What's your general impression of the sprint format? Like it? Love it? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Uh, yeah, actually, I I think it's been I think it's been a successful introduction, a successful debut of the format. I was enjoying the um, I was enjoying what it added to the to the show already um, because it made Friday much more interesting, and we've got a few little problems here and there like the pointless fp2 session on saturday morning but i enjoyed watching a race on saturday rather than sitting through qualifying because i got to enjoy qualifying on the friday so it's just added a an extra element to the the weekend i think it's been a nice addition it's made the weekend feel more dynamic the question i had was obviously were we getting benefits on friday and saturday and then going to have a poorer sunday as a result because hamilton was in a sp- you could argue a fractionally slower car and nicked what should have been pole position in qualifying, but instead Max Verstappen just had an extra race start to get back in front and potentially run away into the distance in the Grand Prix. Had that happened today, I think I'd have been reflecting on the sprint format a little bit more hesitantly. But as it turns out, the events that we saw on the opening lap of the Grand Prix were probably set up entirely by the fact that Verstappen did take pole position from the sprint race it put Hamilton on the, on the back foot and forced him to attack which obviously led to the scenes that we saw yes yeah, so it certainly had a contribution how about you Mark like it love it 
Hate it? Uh, like. Quite, yeah, like. Uh, not, not, not as strong as hate or love. Um, but, yeah, I particularly like uh, Friday meaning something. Friday, you know, having a bit of tension and jeopardy about it. And then Saturday, the, the, the first lap was magical, I thought. I, I just loved the, the foreshadowing of the, 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 the Verstappen-Hamilton scrap. And I loved Alonso, which, as predicted, he was the one that really decided to attack, taking advantage of everybody else being a little bit more cautious. Um, but then it just settled down into like the first stint of a race, which, you know, realistically, what what else was it ever going to do? Um, but it was okay. And I just uh, come back to the fact that it, it, that that's not pole. You know, the, the winner of that race is just the winner of that race, which decides the grid. Um, so, yeah, it, I think to differentiate it a little bit more, I think we need to do some more tweaks to differentiate it from the main race. Um and as I think I've said before, I would favour um, cutting out any communication between team and driver and leaving the driver to make some of, um, of the decisions. But uh, yeah, on the whole, I think it was quite a successful introduction of a, uh, an experimental format. I'm not surprised to hear that someone who has to come up with 20 plus Friday analysis pieces is advocating losing FP2. <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say I broadly agree with Mark. I won't go into it too much. It's sort of gentle approval, but a feeling it could go a little bit further. But you can hear a bit more about what I thought in the podcast that came out on Saturday night. So let's get down to it. The incident, we're going to have to call it. So Mark, inevitably, that is the talking point for the race. It's going to be talked about for decades, probably. Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen at Cops on the first lap. And Hamilton, that 10-second penalty from which he recovered to win and put Verstappen heavily into the wall with a 51G impact. So let's start by setting up how this whole situation arose, because it started long before they got to COPS, didn't it? Yeah, it started probably China 2017, I would say. But um, it, it's, <laughs> it, this year, it's um, it's had little episodes at the on lap one at Imola, lap one at Barcelona, restart lap at Portimao. Um, and in those three incidents, it's been Verstappen, who's been the one, no compromise, risk, you know, at the risk of contact, and Hamilton, the one who's backed out of it. And that's just the way that Max goes racing. There's nothing unfair about it. He's very, very hard, very aggressive, um, and, you know, usually prevails in any anything wheel-to-wheel. Uh, on this occasion, Hamilton decided he couldn't do that. He's... From his perspective, he's seeing the championship slip away to a guy with a slightly faster car of, of the last few races, and which seems to be getting more and more uh, development parts to which it's responding, whereas he knows he's got nothing more coming after this race. So he's in front of his home crowd. He knows from the sprint that the car is, despite his setting pull with it, it it's, it's still intrinsically slower than the Red Bull and he has his only way of possibly winning this race is to get track position over it, which he has to do on the first lap because otherwise Verstappen's going to just pull away out of reach. And so they, they're the perfect set of circumstances for the the inevitable collision that was always going to come between them. There was always going to be a point where Lewis decides, no, I'm, I'm not backing down. Um, I'm, I'm going to be resolute. And you could see from the body language of the, the, the dice right from turn one, that the, the, the pair of them were just not going to give each other an inch, nothing, 
absolutely nothing. You saw it through there. You saw it through um, the, on, as they went onto the Wellington Strait, and Verstappen moved immediately across to the the inside. And as soon as Lewis staked his claim on the outside, Verstappen was crowding him, so, so that he in turn wouldn't get crowded out into Brooklands, and then through there and. Obviously, yesterday uh, they, they had a similar sort of move up through um, the, down the old pit straight, and that time Lewis had tried to tried for the outside line into cops, and then he said today that he'd, he realised that was an error, and so this time he'd dummied for the outside and then swooped across to the inside, and that was his claim staked, and he wasn't going to back out of it. And Max, as you know, as he in the way that he always races, um, there was no compromise there, and he was turning in. It was his corner. Lewis felt it was his corner, and yeah, and the inevitable happened. And obviously, Verstappen did end up being taken to hospital to be checked. As we understand it, nothing serious there. He was tweeting unhappily uh, about what he saw. But Scott, the stewards gave that penalty. Their verdict said that Hamilton was predominantly to blame. Of course, to give a penalty, the driver has to be wholly or predominantly to blame. And they mentioned the fact that he didn't quite make it to the apex when he was turning in and then the contact happened. So looking at that particular clash itself, how do you see the decision to give a penalty, right or wrong? Uh, well, when, when, when it happened, I thought it's marginally more Hamilton's fault. And for that reason, I expected a penalty because I think we've, I do think we're meandering into a world at the moment where it just feels like there has to be a penalty given. I know that isn't always the case, but it just it it just does kind of feel that, especially when there's something high stakes. We we always hear, and Michael Mazzi even said, you know, the consequences don't influence the decision. But I don't think that's true. I think there's too much evidence to to suggest that otherwise. So. I, I personally thought it was within, with just about within the confines of a racing incident, so I, I wouldn't have advocated a penalty. I can see why it was given, I suppose. Um, and I don't feel too outraged by the fact that there was um, a penalty uh, given. I, I just feel that a lot of people are sort of missing the nuance, especially on the Red Bull side, who obviously, obviously Red Bull are absolutely outraged by what happened and the 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 problem that I have with it is that Hamilton has made a slight mistake on entry because while he was pinned to the inside because he'd sold Verstappen that dummy, um, Max did move left and he did also open up the corner. He turned in and then he just he opened up the lock again because he saw Hamilton was alongside him. So that there was room on the inside for Hamilton to get through that corner, but he he wasn't quite tight to the inside and we saw later in the race and I'm sure we'll come on to this he did pull that exact move on Charles Leclerc to win the race and he was able to keep the car a lot tighter now whether that was because in this incident with Max the you know the tires weren't quite up to temperature obviously the car would have been heavy on a fuel tank full tank of fuel um whatever Hamilton hasn't been able to get to the apex or keep tight to the inside and that's what the steward said they said that the line he was on through the corner is ultimately what caused the contact with Verstappen. Conversely, Verstappen didn't exactly leave a massive amount of room on on, on the inside, and that's why I kind of feel it's a racing incident because I, I just feel both drivers could have done more to 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 avoid to avoid that contact. Um, I, it's, it's regrettable. It's regrettable that it ended that way, but 
it, it just isn't as simple as the guy on the inside is sending a, a Larry move. Hamilton did nothing crazy or out of control. And the thing that was really actually getting under my skin a little bit with the Red Bull complaints was this idea that it was outrageous for Hamilton to try and overtake there because it's not. There's not there there there, are, there isn't such thing as a corner where you're not allowed to try and uh, and pass on. Otherwise, it would just be permanent double waved yellow flags at, at, at that corner. You you can make the move. It's how you do it and and obviously your conduct through it. So the move was on. I I think it's absolutely nonsense to say that just because it's a fast corner at Cops, you're not allowed to try and pass there. So I think. Hamilton was well within his rights to give it a go. He'd also pulled himself completely alongside at one point. It just didn't work out from there. I think Fernando Alonso summed it up really well, where he said once Hamilton's made the move, which he's completely entitled to do, he can't just disappear. So it's just, it's even if it's not 50-50, I think it is a racing incident. So I, I it was a shame to see a penalty, but in this world we're in now, I'm not really surprised we got one. Happen at uh, Macau, that's under permanent yellow flag, but otherwise I, I agree with your point. My, my personal view is it depends on what your philosophy is. I tend towards preferring to allow a larger number of racing incidents, in which case you let it go. However, if we are moving into this more aggressive penalising, then certainly Hamilton has a much larger share of the blame. I think Verstappen's mistake was that he didn't cover Hamilton quite as emphatically as he thought he had done. So he's slightly surprised Hamilton was there legitimately. And yeah, Hamilton needed to hold it a little bit tighter. So I see where the stewards are coming from there. So again, like you, I can't be absolutely furious or anything that there was a, a penalty. But I think there's a very, very important philosophical debate that needs to be had about how these rules are applied and the the, the, the terms of, of com, combat on, on track. Otherwise, we're going to get a situation of passing by numbers. And when two drivers who are fighting for a championship can't, get into a kind of high-risk, no-holds-barred situation. How about you, Mark? Yeah, it's a, it's a human competition, isn't it? And it, it's the, 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 the human elements at, at, at the extremes of competition that, um, that, that make the sport so, such, so thrilling at, um, in, at, its, at its most extreme. So, yeah, I don't think we should be, um, you know, short of... Uh, fouls or incompetence i don't i don't think we should be considering penalties as the normal part of the game i think they should just be there for a exceptional um you know, cack-handed or dirty moves i think that's all they should be for i don't i don't think they have any place in the sport the um the issue i have is something you raised it, ed when we were talking about it and it's something i've thought before um it's it's that use of predominantly in the regs that i've got a problem with because I, I've actually, I've never actually heard it fully explained what what that means because if it's obviously wholly to blame, then there are actually very few <laughs> incidents where a driver is one hundred percent to blame. But um, let's say it is that, then at least you've got a black and white situation to work with. But predominantly, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm literally wrong about this, but I would interpret it that as anything over 50%, right? So that would mean that 99% of incidents are going to result in a penalty because it's only one incident, it's only an incident that you can somehow mathematically rule is 50% shared blame. Those are the only ones that don't get penalised. With that, that's how I interpret the existence of that wording 
in the rules. Is that is that wrong or is, is that what the rules imply by saying predominantly to blame? Well, the rules say what the rules say, don't they? Which is indeed, yeah, predominantly or wholly or predominantly to, to blame. So predominantly, you could argue is 51%, I guess, to give you a majority. I think the intent is for it to be a little bit higher than that. But by the wording of that rule, you can blame Hamilton for that. But we need to have a world where drivers can actually race... I can understand why Red Bull are furious, and I get why Max Verstappen's furious. Not only has he been chucked into the wall at very high speed, ultimately he's seen his title rival go on to win. So I get he should be angry and unhappy about it. Of course he should. And probably Lewis Hamilton should feel that he's done nothing wrong and that any criticism of him and penalties is outrageous. That's actually kind of what we want in sport, isn't it? We want it's irresistible force and a movable object. That's this title battle and I'm actually quite pleased that the, that the clash has happened it wasn't great that it results in such a big impact but we've been building to this as Mark was explaining earlier so I think that's the, the big question what impact it has downstream in this battle it's like the gloves have come off now they've been quite polite and kind to each other Hamilton's probably thinking well I've given him a bit of space before and this time I'm the one being aggressive Verstappen's probably thinking that he's done nothing remotely forceful in the past and that he gave Hamilton all the space in the world. That That's what's really interesting about this to me rather than the kind of detail of, 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 who, was to, of who was to blame. I'm sure if Hamilton had that again, he might execute it a bit differently. He would like to keep the car tighter. And I'm sure if Verstappen did it again, he'd cover the inside a little bit more. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, that little bit of um, nebulous ground in between two different perspectives in an equal fight is absolutely what the competition is about. It's what it's supposed to be about. So, of course, they will have different views of it. any incident. Yeah. Yeah, it's just the nature of the beast. It does probably increase the chance of it happening again. It's going to mean next time there's one of these battles on track, and it's bound to happen because it keeps happening this year. There's this whole background and subtext to it in history now that it's just been taken up a level. And th- this will be a day that goes into history and folklore doesn't it that people remember for a for a very long time these these collisions that are of supreme importance well i saw um i saw i think it was uh our our boss glenn freeman tweeted um you know people always ask you know imagine if imagine if senna and prost happened in the twitter era we don't need to wonder anymore, do we? <laughs> we, we know <laughs> the only difference is obviously this didn't actually settle the 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 title, but it's that kind of seismic event that's going to be discussed for for years and years and years. And it's it might it, it might well be that that what we saw today comes to be the defining memory of the Hamilton Verstappen fight. Who knows? Are they going to get this close again in such fiery circumstances this year? We, there's no guarantee of that, and 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 are they going to have this kind of tight battle again? There's no guarantee of that either. One team might steal a march in the new rules, and Hamilton's going to be leaving F1 in a couple of years. So this this could be it. This this could be the 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 memory that's burned into everyone's brains about the Hamilton Verstappen fight. So that's in in that sense, it's actually quite fun <laughs> and entertaining. Um, Obviously, as you said, it's a massive shame it ended in a, a, a huge crash and a big impact on a driver going to hospital for checks. Uh, but but these are these are the moments that come to define not just a single race or a single season. They can come to define an entire fight, uh, even maybe an um, even maybe an era. That's probably a stretch in this circumstance. But 
I I, I think it's I think it's healthier. I I wonder if the the main consequence from this now is probably going to be more. Hamilton's probably going to be a bit more emboldened, isn't he, to 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 leave leave the front wheels in, and rather than back out. And I I suspect because Max is an aggressive driver, but he's not an idiot. I suspect Max is now going to be more minded to leave maybe an extra half a car's width. Or, of course, he might just think he has to be even more. That's, that's when the irresistible force and the immovable object meet, isn't it? That's, that's kind of the escalation that could make it very interesting. I think, I think one thing that is important to stress in this incident is this is not Senna at the start of Suzuka 90. No, that was a blatant outright foul. Um, and that's what I was talking about. That's what penalty should be for. Um, no, 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 this was just um, hard, very, very hard racing. Uh, absolutely. It, it, it is unfortunate that the moment played out at 180 miles an hour corner rather than somewhere a bit more harmless. And that, But that's just, just the dynamics of the, this particular track layout and the, the, this particular point in the season and the circumstances of how the Mercedes and the Red Bull compared and what Lewis needed to do, as we've already talked about. But yeah, that was just pure, pure bit of um, competitive conflict rather than um, rather than uh, anything untoward. And that's the thing; it's two great drivers going for a championship. Don't care who wins in the end; just want the battle to be great and, and, and memorable. And they're both—you can say after ten races, both would absolutely be worthy champions. That might change with one getting the advantage as the season progresses. But it's been a—it's been a great fight so far. Obviously, all the off-track stuff with the Mercedes team complaining about things and Christian Horner stirring the pot and Max Verstappen being... So that, that's just all the sort of side theatre, isn't it? What really matters is it's two titans going at it on track. And that's the thing that I think people should enjoy because we've been waiting for this throughout the, <laughs> the V6 Turbo Hybrid era, haven't we? And the Hamilton versus Verstappen battle is is the one we all wanted. Yeah, it's, it's what we've been... Uh starved of uh, for for too long and it's um it's the you know we we we've seen it as the 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 the, the new the new pretender and the old king of of the, of the pride um you can look at it that way you can look at it as um two two teams at the absolute forefront two manufacturers slugging it out um you can look at it in the in light of the, the the political fight behind it, the scenes to alter the technical reg, use their influence to alter the technical regulation in a, in, a, in a way that will help one of them and hinder the other one. There's all sorts of dimensions to it, but it is just an epic battle. Yeah, that's what it's all about. We should mention there are some other downstream potential consequences we don't know at the moment. Obviously, that was such a big hit for Verstappen that we don't know what the condition of the chassis is. We don't know what the condition of the uh, power unit components is. It's not going to be good. And, of course, cost-cap-wise, that's going to be a very, very big bill. And, obviously, anything you spend on having to make extra parts to replace your parts store, that goes against your cost-cap number. So these all play a part. And this is kind of the swing back against Red Bull after the the Bottas crash from Imola, isn't it, in terms of the cost. So all these little subtexts going on and... uh, uh, that's really going to just just liven things up. Hungry Thursday is going to be interesting when everyone has to sort of put their positions clear, and you have Hamilton and Verstappen trying to mark out their their territory. I think it's going to be uh, going to be absolutely brilliant and fascinating to see what happens next time they're on on track together. 
But we can now actually talk about the rest of the race, Mark. Obviously, we had a red flag. That was down to a combination of the barrier repair required and the fact that Red Bull's data couldn't actually confirm if the car was not live. The green light was on saying it was clear, but they couldn't confirm it on the data. And obviously, you don't take chances with that. So they send out a couple of personnel to check it and then all of that was sorted out. So we had a effectively a fresh Grand Prix with the, uh, with the, the running order. So how did it play out from there? Uh, well, Charles Leclerc had taken the lead as Hamilton was... Um, his momentum was checked from the impact with, with Max, so he, he took brilliant advantage of it and just whooshed by on the inside just before the safety car and then a subsequent red flag. So that meant on the restarted race, him, he was on pole and uh, he, he led away again. And at this point, because it's, it's not a circuit on which um, overtakes are, are easy, so at this point, what Mercedes wanted especially after they'd been informed of Hamilton's 10-second penalty, was they needed to get as much distance on the following pack as possible to minimise how many places he would lose when he took that 10-second penalty at his pit stop. So what Mercedes wanted at this point was for Charles to, to run at a good pace and then to run just, just behind, not attempt to do anything that would uh, you know, panic them into covering them in front of, if they thought they were getting an, an undercut threat or anything like that, just just to like get away from the rest of the pack as far as possible. So they wanted to maximise that stint as long as they possibly could. And, um, it, yeah, Lewis's tyres eventually died, his front tyres eventually died, and that, that was what um, triggered when, when he stopped. So, yes, from there... He rejoined um, in fourth. He had to pass uh, Lando Norris, which he did on the inside of Cops. Uh, he was allowed through under team instructions by Valtteri Bottas, which put him up to second. I just say, like anybody who thinks that was a foolish move or in some way needlessly helpful to Hamilton, it was absolutely the correct move by Mercedes to have that team order to let him through. It makes no sense not to. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's the fighting for the championship here. And um, yeah, so he then had to chased down a quite a big, um, I think it was nine seconds that Leclerc had built up uh, at this point by the time Lewis got into second place. And then you saw the actual comparison between the Ferrari and Mercedes. So the, the actual performance comparison wasn't, what you saw in the first stint wasn't the real comparison because, as I said, Mercedes weren't trying to maximise their speed at that point. They were trying to maximise the gap over the, the people behind um, strategically. And so when the gloves came off and you saw Lewis flat out trying to catch Leclerc and Leclerc responding by driving the Ferrari flat out, you saw the gap was somewhere in between eight, eight tenths and a second between the two cars. So that was just enough to get Lewis onto his tail and with two laps to go, he passed him um, on the inside of Cops. Of course, it had to be there, didn't it? And in fact, Michael Massey, the race director, said that when he was asked what could Lewis have done in the Verstappen incidents, to avoid a penalty and he said well from, from what the stewards said maybe something like what he did with Leclerc when he did get the car into the curb into the apex and uh, and hold a tighter line but I have to say Scott Charles Leclerc he did a very good job didn't he he didn't have a great hand to play but he he did everything he could to, to try and hold on to that uh, that unlikely lead yeah I thought this was um I thought this was a very very good performance from from Leclerc uh it's it's always difficult to compare uh, performances across different seasons and cars and circumstances and, and stuff. But 
if you were going to put together a list of the best Leclerc performances in Formula One, I think this would be really, really high up there. Um, as a collective, you know, all-round weekend performance as well, I think this has got to be sort of top three, top five. I, I there, there was a point during the race where I was thinking, if he wins this, I think this is better than his first two, his first two wins, and. It's obviously saying something because they would both come under massive pressure from Lewis Hamilton and one of them was at Monza of all places as well. So they 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 weren't easily done. But it's just, this would have been different because it was with a an inferior car and it was off the back of a, a weekend's performance where he just, yeah, he was just, um, he he was just overachieving every time. Obviously, he, was, he had managed to out-qualify the, he managed to outqualify the Red Bull, and then in the sprint race, he was basically he had Bottas in his sights for the entire Grand Prix. Obviously, Bottas's soft tyres played a part in that, but and then in the Grand Prix itself, jumped Bottas, and so the fact that he you know, inherited the lead after this collision, he'd earned the right to inherit the lead because he got ahead of Bottas. So everything he did, I just thought was absolute top draw, and as he said. This is definitely one of his most satisfying podiums, even though he was gutted to lose the win so late on. But he didn't feel he made a mistake the the entire race. I, I can't think of anything he, he could have done better during that Grand Prix. There was even a point where he was he wasn't being caught by the two Mercedes at once uh, like early in this the second stint, and he was sort of ch- asking for the lap times, was told the information, and he said, Okay, well, you know, this feels good. I think I've got a bit of margin as well. The problem came when Hamilton realised that after I think of those first few laps, he could really turn it on and take the Mercedes to a place that that Ferrari just wouldn't go. And Leclerc realised actually, even with my, he had the engine, he had everything to push as hard as he could to the end. And then I think he quickly realised, ah, this is my, this is my limit. So it all comes down to whether Hamilton runs out of tyre, basically. But even up until the point he got overtaken. Charles thought he might win that race. I think he thought, if I can just keep him at arm's length a little bit, maybe I can repel him because it's only a few more laps. Obviously, ultimately, it fell short, but he's 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 failed in a sense because he didn't hold on to win. But if you're going to count that as a failure, my God, it's a heroic failure, isn't it? It was I just thought it was a brilliant drive. That's a great way to put it. He's really good at Silverstone, Leclerc. He's very good at a lot of circuits. But I was, He's very good everywhere. But, but I was just thinking, <laughs> both Silverstones last year, I think a third and a fourth. If memory serves in 2018 in the Sauber, he was going to win Class B and had a car failure. So th- this is a circuit where he really excels. Yeah, he's very good through the fast stuff and um, where you haven't to manipulate the weight of the car through a fast corner to get the placement exactly right so you scrub off the absolute minimum of speed. He's um, he's brilliant at that. And um, yeah, it, it's just, it, 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 flatters, the, it flatters the car um, around here. So yeah, uh, brilliant qualifying performance and that was the foundation of the, 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 the progress that he made from there. Scott, would you like to visit Valtteri Bottas Sympathy Corner? Yeah, why not? It's a podcast, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. So. Third place. <laughs> yeah. That's it, isn't it? <laughs> Ran behind Norris in the first stint, <laughs> gained from Norris's problem pit stop, and was third. Uh, in a race where the two title rivals collide, Max Verstappen ends up flying into the barriers and then taken to hospital, and Lewis Hamilton loses a place as a result of that and then has a 10-second penalty. 
Bottas can't be finishing third in that race. He he should have won this race. He should have been where Leclerc was at the start um, and inherited the lead. And then it should have been a relatively simple drive from there, running at his own pace throughout the first stint and then having a nice big margin to manage in the second stint after Hamilton served his penalty. Um, I might be being overly harsh. There might be something I'm missing that it means I'm doing Bottas a disservice, but reflecting on that race and everything I know about it, with the one exception being he didn't have a drinks bottle, so maybe that made the race slightly more uncomfortable. I don't unless you unless either of you can come up with something big, I don't think there's anything that's going to change my mind that this was a race Bottas shouldn't have won and a race I never I just feel like it was just one of those where it's like, well, Bottas should win this, but this is absolutely a race Bottas isn't going to win. I'm going to disagree with that and say it's not a race he should have won. It's a race that he should have been annoyed that he couldn't win when he let past Lewis Hamilton to win it under team orders. That's what should have happened, really. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. No, I haven't got anything in my pocket I can produce for you, Scott, that makes you say, ah, well, fair enough. No, I just I haven't. I've, I've, uh, I've had a look. I've had a look around um, and I haven't found anything. The one thing I'll say in his defence was Charles Leclerc is very, very good and was doing well, albeit in a slower car. Obviously, Lando Norris is having a, a great season and he was ahead of him in the first stint. So, ultimately, Bottas is still performing at a high level and he was pretty strong in qualifying, gave Hamilton the toe. Obviously, if he'd had the toe, he could have outpaced Hamilton, but then again, Hamilton should have been several tenths faster if he'd improved on that second run without a mistake. So, we're sort of... Splitting hairs you're, there. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're stretching, Ed. But you're going to pull a muscle if you keep stretching this much. Well, I don't want to be too nasty to Valtteri Bottas. It's still a, well, it's still it's, a fair it's place, just, but it's... I'm not, trying to be, I'm not trying to be out of order or anything. It's just that it's just the whole weekend, isn't it? Like, okay, qualifying third was, was fine. And then in the sprint, he's starting on the softs and Max and Lewis are on the mediums. And the whole point presumably is try and get Max. Try and gain some track position and then spend the rest of your race trying to manage it. And if you just hold him off and then eventually slip back to third, that's fine. That didn't happen. He didn't even come close to running higher than third on the softs in the sprint race. So he's already immediately in um, in, in, in a compromised position. And then at the start of the Grand Prix, he loses a place straight away. So, um, yeah, I just felt like basically within seconds of each start this weekend, it was just like, well, we know where Valtteri's going to finish. <laughs> Having said that, he won the battle of the number twos quite emphatically, didn't he? Perez down in 16th place. Where did he go? Where was Max's wingman as backup? Yeah, that all went wrong in the sprint, didn't it? You know, when he, he had that uh, spin in the chapel. And then, uh, yeah, he was, uh, a, 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 what, was it, what would you call it? A tactical retirement, uh, which allowed them to... Um, well, not only um, uh, save some um, save some money, but uh, it, it allowed them to put a, a different wing on and start from the pit lane. And um, his expected charge through the field didn't didn't really happen. It was um, yeah, he, he was he didn't he didn't make the progress he, one would have expected uh, of, of a Red Bull. And then he was plucked out of the points uh, in order to deprive Lewis Hamilton of the point for fastest lap. Uh, so, yeah, that was his contribution. He, he took a point off Lewis. It was a wonderfully mean-spirited fastest lap, wasn't it? it was, <laughs> yes. He could take the point away from Mercedes and Hamilton, but he couldn't keep it. He, he couldn't keep it because he wasn't in the top ten, yeah. Uh, which very, very rarely happens. I think Kevin Magnussen did one of those uh, 
but very, very rare that uh, they don't get the point because they're usually in the top 10. But yeah, the, the number two's ultimately uh, struggled there. Scott, Lando Norris, we talked about in fourth place. He obviously had a fairly traumatic run-up to Silverstone with the uh, the theft of his, his watch, which was a rather unpleasant experience after the Euro 2020 final. But not a great weekend for McLaren pace-wise, but he was fourth with his teammate Ricardo a little bit behind him in, in fifth. So McLaren limited the damage, didn't they? Yeah, they did a very good job of limiting the damage. And it's... Um, it's uh, it says something about McLaren's uh, McLaren's season that um, that they can they'll probably be a bit disappointed with a weekend in which they've scored their second I think second biggest points haul <laughs> of the year um, and I think they must have only given away a point or two to um, uh, four points they gave away to Ferrari on a day that Ferrari could have won the Grand Prix so that's not too bad is it um, I think I th- I guess this. This maybe should have been looked at as a circuit that would have played to McLaren's strengths a little bit more. And I don't know about you guys. I was a bit surprised at just how well the Ferrari's front tyres held up. They've obviously put a lot of work in to understand the extent of their woes that manifested themselves so extremely in Paul Ricard. And I know that there was a lot of effort gone gone into trying to protect protect the front axle better. But this was a very, very, very effective way of doing that. And I guess that just sort of put that car out of reach for, for the McLaren. So for Ricardo to, I don't know how many laps Ricardo had signs within DRS range, but it must have been what, 12, 15 laps at least. Um, so yeah, it just didn't have the absolute outright pace. And I'm sure Norris is gutted because he would have loved to have held on and, and snuck a podium. Um, but overall, and you're in a position that they're in fourth and fifth is it's a good thing to be annoyed at fourth and fifth isn't it yeah and Daniel Ricciardo after the race he, he was strong in qualifying could have beaten Norris actually which is very very rare he said he struggled more on race pace which surprised him a little bit but I did say to him well you're a bit disappointed with the race ultimately but you're still fifth so the fact you can still pull those results out when you're not on top of the car is going to be uh, a positive but yeah he had science behind him for a, for a very very long time I guess the really important thing for Ferrari is you did wonder in Austria in the two races whether chasing that tyre preservation had come at the expense of qualifying pace because they were really quick in the races there, but they struggled in qualifying. But here they they managed to qualify very, very well. They should have had Sainz up with Leclerc. He was up there through Q2 and then just struggled a bit with the conditions in the in, in Q3 and so qualified ninth and then was out of the way because he started 11th after his troubles in the, the sprint race, so came through to sixth. But that, that's encouraging for Ferrari, isn't it? Even if it is another of those races where they should have taken a huge heap of points out of McLaren and yet again they haven't this has happened several times now yeah it's just the I don't think there's any underlying reason for it I think it's just the the, the way it's played out just the look of the look of the draw really uh, Sciences weekend never really got going properly did it and it was um, compromised badly by that incident on the first lap of the sprint with uh, George Russell and yeah I mean I think um Potentially, they could have got grabbed some more points, yes. But, yeah, that's uh, just circumstantial more than anything else. Let's just briefly interject to say we have seen that Max Verstappen has been released from hospital. He says all his checks were okay. So that's uh, that's very positive. And hopefully he'll be fighting fit and ready to go in Hungary because we want part two of this battle as as soon as possible. So I just thought I'd throw that in there, seeing as that's some, some breaking news, which admittedly doesn't work so well in podcast form, but at least it completes the story. 
Let's look a little bit more down the order. Mark, Fernando Alonso, seventh. Talked a lot about him with Gary yesterday in the podcast. His race today, actually, there wasn't a great deal to talk about, but he got a really good seventh place thanks to his sprint race heroics. Yeah, it was magic on the first lap of the sprint. Um, converted 11th place in qualifying to uh, fifth place on the end of the first lap, seventh place by the end of the sprint, and he finished seventh in the, in the Grand Prix. Uh, he had to put a pass on Lance Stroll, who'd undercut ahead of him briefly. Uh, and that, yeah, he was uh, top on, on top form. Uh, yeah, I, I thought his first lap of the sprint was just um, classic. Him, he just knows where to put the car in every circumstance when he's wheel to wheel. And he was nicking places, you know, like a pickpocket nicking people's pockets. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> yes, and that's what Alonso does as well. He just uh, he just nicks track space off people, and they, before they know it, he's he's gone. Um, I thought he, he was yeah, he was great on that. You had a chat to Fernando Alonso after the race, didn't you, Scott? Was he on good form and happy with life? Yeah, I think so. Um, we talked a little bit about his uh, about his racecraft and how after the first two or three events, where by his own admission he just sort of <clears throat> need to sort of feel his way back into the groove racing in F1 again. Um, not just driving and getting 100% out of the car, but the actual racing element of it. Um, and I think since then, I think really since Spain, the his the, the his execution of the start and first lap has just been astonishing. And we've obviously seen a few extreme manifestations of how just how crazy good his racecraft is, and uh, as Mark was just describing. Uh, but the sprint race was just a, he single-handedly saved the sprint <laughs> because it was as a race on its own. It was, it was fine. It was a 17 lap version of every Grand Prix that's ever happened without intervention of safety cars and weather and stuff like this. It was a, it was a, an entertaining first lap. There's the jeopardy of the first corner. Brilliant. Apart from that, nothing happened apart from Perez spinning off, but Alonso saved it because it's, because every, I feel like within the space of a few seconds, every single person watching that race had the same thought because they'd spent the first 20, 25 seconds of the Grand Prix watching Hamilton and Verstappen go wheel to wheel and working out, or oh, how's that going to end? And then basically everyone within a few seconds of each other sort of looked at the order and went, how the hell is Alonso fifth? <laughs> and it was just like, that was it. He was the best storyline of the uh, of the sprint. So that that was amazing. And then, yeah, he's just... He's just back, isn't he? They're, they're, we talked about this, I think, on, on on previous podcasts. There's whatever doubts we had, anyone had for various reasons, they've all been expelled. Alonso's mega, and it's just brilliant to have him in this form in F1. And he's continuing to do his good little line and slight chippiness with his pushing the rules about weaving because he thinks everyone else is ignoring the first corner runoff rules. So, uh, so he, he can do what he wants. So that's uh, again just like the way that he uh, that he does things. He's also doing a nice line in uh, talking about how great he is as well. We mentioned, didn't we, before uh, that he sort of avoided that the first part of this year. But if you remember, his last year or two of McLaren was often hyping up everything he did is the best thing ever. And um, his opening lap charge in the sprint, especially the move he did on, on Lando Norris at, at Cops, I'm pretty sure he described it as one of his best ever. So, you know, he's uh, he's not afraid to... He, he's he's great on track again, and he's not afraid to let you know that he knows it. <laughs> it would be risible if it wasn't for the fact that he was outstandingly good. And it just is. He just always has been. It's still quite funny, but 
at least at least he's basically right because he is a absolutely outstanding racing driver. Esteban Ocon, his teammate, was ninth. Ocon a lot happier. Had a chassis change. Loads of other car parts were changed. The team, I don't think, was entirely convinced that there was a, a specific problem that explained his Red Bull ring struggles where he was really, really off the pace. Martin Bukowski did confirm that they found a little bit of a problem with something in the front suspension. Ocon wouldn't really talk about it, but did confirm they saw something in the data that he felt explained it. Whatever happens, whether it's driver happy and confidence boost because things have been changed and he thinks something's been fixed or a tangible problem being fixed, he did look like he'd uh, he'd woken up again as a, as a driver. So good result for him. But we should say there is a bit of an asterisk against drawing too many conclusions because Silverstone's a slightly odd circuit. Red Bull ring, very different demands. Ocon looked limited on corner entry in the Red Bull ring, similar to Ricardo. They've both gone better here at a circuit, which isn't quite so much about that, getting around any front-end limitation and really getting the car rotated on the brakes and on turning. So let's just reserve judgment on that, but definitely a good weekend for Ocon. Lance Stroll in eighth place. Didn't seem to want to talk about what was quite an effective race from him. Started down in 14th place. Had a pretty horrible weekend. He's come away with it with a nice amount of points. That's all right for him, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it was a decent race. Uh, he sort of rescued his weekend. He he was having all sorts of bothers with the uh, with the balance of the car through Friday and, and Saturday. But um, yeah, they they made sense of it in the end, and he executed very nicely. He was um, yeah, very very good performance today. I'd say he didn't seem very happy about it, but uh, I thought that was one of his uh, one of his good days. Yuki Sonoda, Scott, tenth place. Yuki had a pretty difficult weekend. Alpha Tauri were really struggling. He was down in 16th on the grid, I think, for the sprint race and for the, the main Grand Prix. AlphaTauri weren't really going anywhere. And there he is at the end of the race, 10th place. Quite a nice long first stint. Reckon that was his best race for tyre management. He wasn't very good at that in the Red Bull ring. He's been doing some studying. I thought that was a really good drive from Sonoda. Yeah, it was the sort of um, performance he's needed, actually. The, one of those quietly... Uh, efficient races where you just get on with it and gradually the race comes to you and pretty contrasting fortunes to Pierre Gasly which has been basically the the other way around at almost every other race this season uh, whereby Gasly just sort of seemed to get progressively more miserable as the weekend went on and Sonoda sort of reached the nadir quite early <laughs> and then um, was gradually sort of picking himself up although to be fair I think he did all, pretty much all of his picking up in the race itself, because he, he he just didn't seem very happy after the sprint either. Um, so no, I think this is the sort of thing that will do him do his confidence a world of good. It's just a it's just a shame that it happened to be on a weekend in which I I think he and Gasly were both quite confused at just the underlying lack of pace that the AlphaTauri had compared to other weekends where it's obviously been comfortably good enough to be well inside the top ten, and here they just seem to be struggling throughout and I think um Gasly described the the sprint as was they call it like the, their worst performance of of the season so far so for Sonoda to come back from that in terms of where the car was plus his own misfortune earlier in the weekend and leave of a point is uh pretty good going for a rookie yeah and I agree with the fact he needed a performance like that because it was a it's what I call a boring good race drive in that it was all about the the less flashy arts, the, the the intelligent art, shall we say, which is really good because it means he's, he is learning about these things. So positive for uh, for Sonoda. I was, I was quite impressed with him. Gasly, of course, was in 11th place. George Russell, 12th, Mark. After the race, he was quite 
philosophical about it. I did ask him if he'd started where you think you should have started, because obviously he wasn't happy with the penalty. I must admit, I saw that incident from the Vettel onboard camera and felt a little bit less sympathy for for Russell. I could still have dealt with it not being a penalty, but he did go. It looked a bit worse from outside, from behind, than it looked on the onboard cameras, in fairness. But I digress a bit. But is this a case of Russell just being very good in qualifying and rubbish in the race, or was this just an unavoidable... Twelfth place he ended up in the end. Well, it's not a not a vintage race performance. It went wrong with a, a basic error on the first lap of the sprint, um, and it, that sort of uh, meant that he didn't have as good a platform to start from because of the the penalty that that, that followed it, as, as well as the um, the poor result in in the sprint. So, yeah, he was absolutely spellbinding in qualifying. I thought, and in Q two and getting getting the thing into Q Q three. Uh, fairly bland race, but I don't think you can um, characterize. You know, it's saying it's that that that's a trait. I, I just think this he just didn't have a very good weekend, and it, it all came down to that one moment um, under breaking at the uh, end of the Wellington straight on the sprint on the first lap. Yeah, it makes all the difference, and ultimately twelfth place still in a Williams. Russell made the point it's still the ninth fastest car. That's still actually a pretty good result. He's ahead of various people he, he shouldn't have been, but also. It's worth noting that in the race, you're much more contained by the fundamental pace of the car. Latifi wasn't too far behind and he was nowhere compared to Russell on, on single lap pace. It was quite messy around that edge of the points because both Alfa, Alfa Romeo drivers were flirting with getting a point. Kimi Räikkönen and Antonio Giovinazzi, but Räikkönen ended up having that bit of a clash with uh, Perez, didn't he, Scott? There was an investigation into that, which I haven't seen the outcome properly of. I think there was no further action, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, which is basically the uh, beginning and end of my knowledge of what happened. <laughs> yeah, I think it. Uh, Raikkonen said that he thought Perez might not have seen him, but I think it was proper, it proper was just, just racing a, incident. It, it, yeah, it was. It was basically just someone trying to cling on around the outside of a corner where, if you can do it and you get fully alongside, you do have the line for the next corner. But. Um, it, it, it never really was. <laughs> um, and as soon as he fell back and as soon as, yeah, Perez was not yielding, then it was that it was just always going to, it was always going to have the result that it had. Yeah. And ultimately we know Alfa Romeo needs to have a, a strong run to, to pick up any points. So uh, they missed out. Yeah. Giovinazzi was 13th, Raikkonen 15th, either side of the aforementioned Nicholas Latifi, Perez 16th, two Haas drivers. Mazepin managed to get ahead of Schumacher, after the pit stops, something we saw on the timing screen, I will go through it and find out exactly what happened. You haven't look, I haven't looked that far down yet. So <laughs> we, can't, we can't be very illuminating, but I will. That's one of the things I will be studying later on uh, tonight. But significant that Mazepin did manage to get ahead. I don't know if there was any uh, controversy or unhappiness about the pass, because of course there was the collision between the pair in the sprint, which was largely down to Mazepin. So, uh, let's That's have a just look. a Haas tradition at Silverstone, though, isn't it? It's not necessarily those two drivers. It's just a team thing, isn't it? They always have a collision between the two drivers at Silverstone. It's just a tradition. Exactly. It's why, uh, it's why the Haas team always has three or four spare motorhome doors lying around, just in case of a, of a Steiner explosion. But, uh, yeah, actually, Mazepin's pace this weekend wasn't, wasn't too bad. He, he probably should have been a bit closer than he was in, uh, in qualifying. I think it was just the high speed where he was struggling a bit with uh, the stability. A lot of the other areas he was doing all right. So credit where he's due. He was, uh, he was uh, all right. Well, should we circle back to where we all started? Because, like I said, this is all about the collision between the, 
the two title protagonists. Do we think this is going to go down as the key moment of the season, the turning point when they absolutely take the gloves off and are going at each other? Or do you think Verstappen and Hamilton are going to diffuse things when we get to Hungary? Um, my feeling is that this is going to just be the the thing that everybody remembers of the competition. Um, but I think I think we've seen enough evidence now in the last few races to see that the Red Bull is faster and that Verstappen is making absolutely clinical use of it. And I think you know we. He came here knowing already more than a Grand Prix victory clear. And I think we said at the last one, you know, even if he non-scores and Hamilton wins, he's still ahead of the, in the championship. And that's, of course, exactly what's happened. And I think that will continue to happen. And I don't think we'll actually see them that close together, really, um, for, for a lot of the season. Occasionally, but I think this was um, probably the, the closest a contest we're going to see between them for quite some time. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that because obviously we know although Mercedes got on pole, largely that was a track temperature thing, the knocking the Red Bull out, out, of, a, out of the sweet spot and the front tyres getting too cool. So it could well still be that this is Verstappen's championship, but it's, it's at least uh, livened things up in terms of it going on. What do you think, Scott? If you were Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton, what would your approach be to Hungary? Would you be shouting the odds on Thursday or damping things down? I think someone's going to run someone off the track at uh, turn two because that's just it's that that corner the trajectory of that corner is just ripe for a bit of uh, forcing like squeezing someone out running someone out on the exit and I think that's what will happen there I think they'll be they'll both be on the front row together won't they in Hungary even if Verstappen's three tenths quicker. Um, doesn't make a difference on the opening lap. They're gonna they're gonna go at it, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go wheel to wheel when it gets elbows out again. Because like I said, I don't. I think Hamilton's going to be emboldened now to 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 not be bullied. Uh, and while I do think Max should learn to play the percentages a, a fraction better, I don't think he drove like a guy with a thirty three point championship lead on the opening lap of this race. Uh, I, I think Max is so inherently aggressive that I think if Hamilton's giving him some, he'll give some back. Uh, so I don't think this is going to be the last of it, but I suspect this is going to be the yeah the image that's burned into everybody's memories uh, and is probably the most extreme manifestation of what is an intense title fight. It might well continue to be intense for the rest of the year. Um, I'd be surprised if we saw a repeat of this to this degree. Yeah, this was somewhat extreme and... Uh don't really want to see that quite to that extent but yeah I, I'm inclined to agree that the next time they're near each other on track in a race there's going to be some points to prove and it's kind of the next phase after after this so I'm really interested to see what happens what a great battle it's going to be to to keep following well thanks very much Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen lots to read there. Mark Hughes's race analysis will be up in the not-too-distant future. My driver ratings. Scott Mitchell, what are you working on? Uh, a piece on, well, Leclerc's um, overshadowed heroic failure. Uh, and also Hamilton talking about the aggression that Verstappen shows and how Lewis has sort of just hinted a little bit that maybe he felt he had a point he needed to prove in this race by not yielding, not being bullied by Verstappen's actions on track. 
So no lack of stuff to read on the website there. Do also check out our YouTube channel. Just search for The Race. And obviously, if you don't already do so, subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review if you're so minded on your podcast supplier of choice. And check out some of our sister podcasts, including The Race IndyCar podcast. We're off to continue to rake over the details of what happened in that race. Find out exactly how the Haas drivers changed position. In particular, that's high on my priorities list for uh, three o'clock in the morning later on when I'm working through the race. And of course, the Race F1 podcast will be back soon with everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. (laughs) 